The reading this morning comes from Acts uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Pecorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Panamus, and Nicolaus, and the proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Thank you, Renee, for uh, leading us in that reading. Uh, today we are back in the book of Acts, continuing on the series, uh, looking at this book in which Jesus uh, continues to work, uh, to do, and to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of the church. Uh, when we left this uh, a couple of weeks ago, we we're at the start of chapter five. We're actually going to um, speed up a little bit now. So we're, missed, we're jumping over the, the second half of chapter five, and we're going to have a look at these first seven verses in Acts 6 today. Uh, so it'd be great if you've got your Bible open there. Uh, around with the e-news this week, there was uh, also sent out an out a couple of outlines. One is for kids, uh, so you might want to follow along there. There's some questions that maybe help you follow along, uh, some activities to do on the back uh, as well. Uh, for everybody, uh, there is also another outline, just quite a basic one, but there's also some discussion questions there. Uh, so you might want to use them as a family afterwards. You might want to use them in your growth group this week or if you uh, catch up with anybody else uh, from South Bowen. Now, I want to ask you just for a moment um, to picture for me, for yourself, really, um, the perfect church. Uh, picture the church that you would really, really want to be a part of. I wonder what it is that makes it so good, so perfect. Maybe you're thinking about some of the programs that it runs for kids and young people. Maybe you think about the teaching uh, that it does on a Sunday in different contexts, the music, uh, its evangelism, its, its mission program. Maybe you're thinking about the way that it trains and it raises up and it encourages and equips leaders within the life of the church. I, I think that one of the things that many of us would want on that list is unity. And maybe if you didn't think of it before, as soon as I said it, you think, yeah, that's, that's it. We'd want this perfect church, this great church, to be united. Disunity disagreements and division are hard in church life. In some of my roles in the, the wider denomination, I've had to be involved in some difficult situations. And they're awful. They can be devastating on a church. And even in my own time of ministry, I, I carry the scars from some of that. 
Well, here in Acts 6, we have the first recorded case of disagreement in the New Testament church. Right here, right at the start, while the apostles are there, while the church is still confined mostly to Jerusalem and a little bit of Judea, maybe not even a couple of years after Jesus has returned to the Father, we have a case of disagreement. And as I've worked through this passage this week, I've, I've found it extremely helpful. And in some ways, it's changed my perspective on disagreement and even disunity in the life of the church. How we view it, how we handle it, and what we might believe God is doing through it. So we're going to dive in now and have a look at these seven verses, and we're going to look at them in three sections. We're going to have a look at, firstly, the issue, what, what was going on, and then secondly, how the church sought to solve or resolve that disunity, and then finally, the result of that resolution, uh, the result in verse 7. So let's start there in verse 1, where Luke outlines for us the issue that was going on. And it arises out of the daily distribution of food. You remember that a couple of times already in the book of Acts, we've seen that the church had things in common. Uh, people sold things as were needed, and they took care of each other. And part of that, we read now, is distributing food to the widows in the church community each day. But a problem arises here. You see, this new church is made up of many different people. And two groups in particular are mentioned here. We have there in verse 1, Hellenists and then Hebrews. Now, it's a bit of a debate about exactly who they are, but it's generally accepted that on the one hand, you had a group of people who were born, raised, and lived in Jerusalem and surrounding Judea all their lives. They spoke Aramaic, they were natives of Israel, and they are the Hebrew group. And then you have this other group, and they are from the Jewish diaspora, the spreading of Jewish people around the known world. But they came to Jerusalem towards the end of their lives to die there and to be buried there. It's kind of like the Sunshine Coast of Israel at the time. And they don't have the same family network around them, and their main language is probably different. It's probably Greek. And this is the Hellenist group. And this Hellenist group have a complaint. They have a grumbling that their widows are being overlooked, they're being neglected as this food is distributed. And they don't have the same family networks to take care of them. Now, I want to notice something really important about the way in which Luke writes this. This difficulty, this division, comes up because the church is being exactly what it is meant to be. Did, did you notice that? You, you notice that, that, that the, the church is growing in numbers at the time there in verse 1? It's increasing, it's multiplying, and so are the needs in the church. It comes about because the church is a diverse body. It's made up of different people. Not everybody has the same background. It's a reflection 
of the new creation that God is bringing together, made up of people of every nation, every language, every tribe, every tongue. There's young in there and there's old in there. There's people who have financial means and there's people who have financial needs. It's diverse. And finally, it comes about because the church is actually seeking to meet each other's needs, to take care of each other. You see, quite incredibly, had the church not been growing, had it not been diverse, and it had not been trying to take care of each other, these things probably wouldn't have arisen. A division comes right at the time where the church is growing, church is healthy, and the church is, is, is doing what it's meant to do. And perhaps this difficulty even comes up because of it. Now, no, no one wants a disunified church. No one is arguing for divisions or disagreements. We've got to work hard for unity. But things can, and they do, and they will arise even when the church is doing well. You see, there's not a one-for-one -one correlation here that unhealthy churches have disagreements and healthy churches don't. In fact, sometimes churches are unhealthy precisely because they don't have disagreements. There might be a veneer of togetherness, but it's probably because things are unspoken or the church is stagnant, or no one actually cares what's going on. Healthy churches, growing churches, diverse churches, churches that seek to care for each other, can have disagreements and even complaints and maybe even issues of disunity. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when we had a look at the first lot of persecution, I noticed, we noticed and we said that this was the start of three different challenges that the church was going to face. Three tactics of the evil one against the church of Jesus, what he's doing through them. The first one we saw was persecution. And that really ramps up in the second half of chapter five, that passage that we skipped over. The, the second challenge was a challenge of purity, of holiness through Ananias and Sapphira. And here is the third issue, the third challenge. It's the challenge of disunity. You see, we shouldn't be surprised when issues come up in the church, when there are diverse views, when there is disagreement in the body, when things get overlooked. This is one of the tactics of the evil one. We shouldn't write off the church when it happens or respond and despond with despondency. It can happen, it does happen, and it will happen even in a healthy church. Now, of course, that, that doesn't mean that we go looking for disunity. That's no excuse for any of us now to run off and make trouble. And neither does it mean when it happens, we sit back and say, oh, okay, that, these things happen in churches. I guess we'll just have to put up with it. Because this early church doesn't do that. It values unity. It values togetherness. And so it works hard to achieve it. Let's move on then to have a look at the response, which comes in verses 2 through to 6. You notice there in chapter verse 2 that it starts then with the 12, uh, with the apostles. The apostles who, who come up with a plan and then gather the church together. And right away, they agree or they make the statement 
that it, they can't be the ones to try and become the solution. They recognize that they have a God-given task to do and that this thing is a danger, but it's also a danger that it pulls them away from that task, that task of preaching the word and of prayer. And so they agree that that's not the way they're going to go. They're not going to do it themselves. And so they call the church together and they say, well, here's our solution. Uh, why don't we appoint uh, seven men, uh, good repute, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, and, and give them this duty. Now, you notice there that it calls this duty waiting on tables. And, and sometimes when we read this, we, we can read this as a bit derogatory, but it's not meant to be derogatory at all. This is not meant to be setting up a, a second-class ministry of practical things where the apostles do the spiritual thing. It's recognizing that both these two things, spiritual needs, preaching the word, and caring for needs, they go hand in hand, and both of them are important. And so after coming up with this plan, they give it to the church, and the church agrees, and they give them the responsibility of selecting the seven. And so they bring these seven men uh, before the apostles. And if you notice the names, uh, the names, as the commentators will say, are are mostly Greek names, so it's quite likely that they come from this Hellenist group themselves. So it's a it's a wise choice that they make. They set the men before the apostles. They lay their hands on them, uh, and they pray for them, and they commission them for this work. Okay, I, I want to kind of just kind of highlight two two principles that I think are so helpful here when it comes to dealing with disagreement and disunity and division. The first one is, the first principle is that the main thing has got to stay the main thing. Notice that here, that happens here. The main thing, the proclaiming of the gospel, the, the preaching ministry that God has given to the apostles, to these leaders in this new church, it remains the main thing. Thing. Yes, they deal with the issue, but the issue itself doesn't become the main thing. See, this is so, so dangerous when we deal with divisions and disagreements and difficulties, is that very quickly they can actually take first place in the life of the church. But this can't be the case. The main thing has got to stay the main thing. The apostles declare and they, they, they make the decision that they're not going to be distracted from, from what God has called them to do. It comes through again in verse 3 uh, when they ask the church to pick out men. Notice who they ask them to pick. Men of good repute, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. This is not a case of, well, that's not as important a job. You just pick whatever you want to do. Uh, you just, anybody can do it. Let's have a show of hands. Okay, you'll do it and you'll do. Not at all. These men are going to become part of the ongoing work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of the church. And so the right men need to be chosen. The main thing has got to stay the main thing. Second principle I want to notice here. 
that the leaders of the church take ownership and take initiative to work towards a solution. Now, this grumbling is actually really grumbling against the apostles. Up until this point, it's been their responsibility to distribute the money that was laid at their feet and looks like that the distribution of food as well. And the grumbling is, you're not doing this well. Now, it'd be easy for the, for the elders or for the, for the leaders to say, well, you Hellenists, you go and deal with it. It's kind of not really our problem. Uh, they could really say, look, we're kind of busy here. We just sort of figure it'll sort itself out. They don't do that. They own it and they act. They come up with a plan and then they involve the whole church in that. They call everyone together. They're open and honest about the issue. This is our plan, they say, and the church agrees it's a good plan and they put it into action. So if disagreements can be expected in the church, even in a healthy church, how do we avoid them becoming disunity, division, and death for a church? Because we know that these things happen far too often. Well, we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. They can't distract us from the ongoing work of the gospel. Too often, disagreements paralyze the church. The church focuses in only on itself. And that's what the evil one wants. He wants to distract the church, to take away from its calling. But that doesn't mean it can't, shouldn't be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. It has to be acknowledged and addressed. It can't be left to sort itself out, and it can't be left to fester. See, when the time comes that South Barwon has disagreements, as it has in the past, when there are differing views, when things don't happen according to plan, when there's hurt, when there's things undone, when our preferences don't get met, and all of these things, they've happened in our history and they've happened in the time that I've been here. And they will happen until Jesus returns. This is what we need to keep in mind. This is what needs to shape our response. They have to be dealt with. They have to be addressed. They can't be ignored. And different issues are gonna be addressed in different ways. And sometimes session will need, the elders will need to deal with things in confidence. Other things we will need to deal together with as a, as a whole church. Sometimes things will start with the elders and then, then come out to the church when they're ready. But we can't ignore them. And we can't let them fester. They, they are not a reason for us staying apart from each other or not attending congregational meetings or, or talking to one another. They need to be brought into the light and they need to be dealt with. But at the same time, they should never become everything. The main thing stays the main thing. Making, maturing, mobilizing, committed followers of Jesus doesn't go on hold, doesn't go on pause, doesn't move to the back seat. 
Now, as these two principles then are applied here in Acts chapter 6, what happens? Well, I, I want to suggest that as we wrap this up, there are, there are two incredible results here. The first is that the ministry of the church actually grows as a result of this disagreement. Men are identified who are gifted, mature, spiritual, of good repute. They set apart for this work. Needs are taken care of. Needs are met. People are taken care of. And they can continue to be the alternative community, God's salt and light, God's city on a hill for a world to look at. And actually, the, the ministry of the church here expands because it is shared with more people. They recognize gifting and maturity and encouragement. This disagreement, which could have brought about great division, which could have right then actually caused a split in the church right from the start, actually results in greater maturity. And in these seven names, we actually have the seeds for the next great movement or progression in the work of Jesus, moving the gospel to the ends of the earth. Notice those first two names there, Philip and Stephen. And God will use them. God will use them to move the gospel outside of Jerusalem and into Samaria and towards the ends of the earth. Jesus will be at work. A disagreement resulted in the growing ministry and maturity of this young word, young church. Now, not only that, notice the way that verse 7 goes. Verse 7 tells us that the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And even priests from the temple became obedient to the faith. Now, it's interesting that after these three issues, the persecution, the purity, and now the disagreement, after each of these, we get a statement like this. After the persecution in chapter 4, they spoke with boldness. And after the persecutions of chapter 5, they did not stop preaching and teaching. After Ananias and Sapphira, it says, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. And now here, the word of God continued to increase. How can that be? How can that be when, when disagreement, we fear, spells death? Because we remember that it's not our church and it's not our work. It is the church of the living Lord Jesus who continues to do and speak by the power of the Holy Spirit through his church. And he promised, he promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. The evil one will throw whatever he can against it. But Jesus has got his church. He's the specialist at bringing good out of hardship. He's the specialist of bringing growth out of disagreements. He's the one who works in hearts and minds and in churches. And so South Barwon, the next time we have a disagreement, the Lord knows when that will be. 
is not the time to run or hide or give up. It's not the time to sigh and roll our eyes. It's the time to remember it's the church of Jesus and he's got it. He's got his church. He knows it and he loves it. And we can address those disagreements, trusting in him, believing and looking for ways that the word might increase, the ministry of the church might grow to his glory. Church, let me lead you in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Lord, the God, the King of your church. Thank you for your promise that not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. We thank you, Lord God, for your goodness and your faithfulness to us as a church. Thank you, Lord, for the many times that you have brought us through trial and difficulty and, and even disagreement. Thank you, Lord God, that we know that when these things come up in the future, you will continue to bless and to guide and provide. Lord God, help us to look to you in faith. Help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Help us to not ignore difficulties and disagreements when they come up. Help us, Lord, to see them as part of your plan, part of the great and wonderful work that you are doing to draw people to yourself. Lord God, we do pray that you would give us unity. We don't long for or desire difficulty. We don't desire disunity. Please, Lord God, protect us from the evil one. Keep us faithful to you and the calling that you have given us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.